Grace and peace, brothers and sisters. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is Exile Cast for July the 14th in the year of our Lord 2020. I wanted to put this sermon out there this week for those who couldn't be with us this past Sunday at our drive-in service. You know, at, at first, if I'm being honest, I was pretty skeptical of the whole drive-in service thing. But they really seem to be a great way for us to gather together on church grounds and, and keep everyone safe while we're all waiting for whatever it is that comes next in this whole pandemic thing. Uh, I, I've, I've seen people sort of making laps around the parking lot, making sure that they can see each other and wave and roll down their windows and, and, and talk a little bit. And it's really great to see people connecting like that again. And I hope that you're finding ways to connect with each other outside of that space too, that you're calling one another, that you're sending emails and cards and checking in and that you don't feel like you're in this all alone. Our next drive-in service will actually be later on this month, July the 26th. We're going to try doing a couple of them this month and uh, see how that goes, and maybe that will uh, affect how we do things in the future. You know, I realize that some folks are starting to get antsy and frustrated about how long it's taking for us to get back into our building, into our sanctuary, to run services the way they've been run since time immemorial. And, and, and let me just say that I am right there with you. I am so there with you. In fact, you're there with me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, every week... Someone forwards to me a story about such and such church in such and such state that ends up becoming an absolute hotbed for this virus. Over here, there's 30 people infected and, and two of them are dead. And over there, 180 people infected, 10 dead. And, and, and some of them worked really hard and, and, and wore masks and kept social distance and all that stuff. But, you know, when you gather people together indoors, um, when the virus is raging, when the numbers are increasing, there's just a danger there. Honestly, I don't know how I could live with myself if we ended up with just one person infected and one person dead. As a church, we can and we will recover from this. I am absolutely confident that when the time comes, we will shake off the rust and we will get back to our lives together. The, the Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. But if something happened and we opened up too early and God forbid someone passed away as a result of that, I'm not sure how we would come back from that. I'm sure that the Holy Spirit would help us, but I just don't even know how we would deal with the guilt and the memories 
and the knowledge that we put someone at risk. Boy, I am so proud of our church council, and I hope you are too. Throughout this whole thing, they have spoken with one unanimous voice that we only want to open up when it is safe to do so, because that's what we think Jesus would want from us. So I hope wherever you are, and however you're getting along, you can feel that, and you can appreciate that. We are a community of love. And that love demands that we do everything in our power to keep one another safe. With that, I do have a sermon for you today. It's based on the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a little while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wish to preach to you this morning from the title, The Good Dirt. The Good Dirt. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
For those of you who don't know, I keep bonsai trees. I have one tree in particular that I just love. It's a juniper. It's about four years old. It's just so beautiful, if it's not bragging to say so. Its limbs have this sloping curvature, and they stretch out and cascade below the rim of the pot. It has these beautiful foliage pads, like the ancient trees that dot the Japanese coastline. It gives the appearance of age and size, even though it's both young and small. Which is the whole point of bonsai, to make a little tree look like a big and beautiful tree. That's what I love about it. Bonsai is about art and horticulture. And when you combine those two things, there's a kind of spirituality to it. Just like when you work on your gardens or your flower beds at home, there's something almost religious about those things, don't you think? Because I think religion is about making life that is so beautiful, it's almost like art. About five years ago, I first decided that I was going to start caring for bonsai trees. To begin, I did a lot of reading, and I watched a few videos online, and then I went out to the nursery uh, to search for my very first tree. Actually, truth be told, I went to four different nurseries because I was looking for just the perfect tree to get started with. I wanted a tree that had a trunk that was kind of bent or twisted, that had some motion to it. A trunk that told a little bit of a story. Then I wanted just the right color and foliage pattern. I wanted something called, in Japanese, nabari. Roots near the top of the soil that give the appearance of age. If I was going to be looking after this thing for 20, 30, 40 years, I wanted it to be special. Finally, after a whole day shopping, going back and forth between nurseries, I brought one home. And what I did was I just sat it in the sun on my kitchen table and I didn't touch it for three days. I just let it sit there. And every time I'd walk by, I'd, I'd, I'd just look at it and study it from all the different angles. Every couple hours, just getting to know the little tree, trying to figure out what kind of tree it wanted to become. To, to borrow a line from Mr. Miyagi. Even when the day finally came to trim it and to, to give it shape and style, I didn't just start cutting. No, I'd, I'd look for the cut that I'd wanted to make and I'd consider it for a while. I'd maybe walk away for a few minutes and then come back and if I still liked the cut, only then would I actually do it. This whole thing was a wonderful spiritual experience for me. And after six hours of trimming and shaping, of, of making this tree into a work of art, when I was finally dead, done, I, I, I just wept 
right there at my kitchen table. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever made. And I thought, wow, something of God is in this. This was a work of inspiration. This was, was true horticulture, which in Latin literally means garden nurture. I was nurturing this tree. I formed it. I gave it shape. I even set up a plan to water and fertilize and, and, and rotate it a couple times a day so all the foliage could, could get equal amounts of sun. I was loving this tree the best way I could. And within three weeks, it was dead. You know why? It was the dirt. The one piece of advice that I ignored, the one aspect of bonsai that I had neither the time nor the patience to do properly was ordering proper bonsai soil from Japan. You see, regular dirt, uh, potting soil or topsoil, that's, that's too fine. It doesn't allow for any air to flow below the surface and it holds too much water. So the roots literally rotted and suffocated because I used the wrong soil. I was working so hard to make the tree beautiful and interesting. I was so concerned with form and style and wanting to show off the tree and, and make it into a work of art that I neglected the most important thing for keeping it alive. The roots. It's all about the roots and the soil they find themselves in. Jesus calls it the parable of the sower. Because that's who it's about. You know, the sower, the farmer, the gardener. The attentive, caring horticulturalist who sows the seeds of grace in our hearts and then waters and prunes and, and coaxes those seeds into a harvest of love that we call the church, the kingdom, the beloved community, God's very own bonsai tree. But the thing is, it doesn't matter how attentive or nurturing or caring the sower is. If the soil ain't right, the seeds can't take root. Whenever anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. So who is the evil one? Is Jesus talking about the devil or some kind of false prophet or even a politician? You know, honestly, I'm not too sure. But I think, I think the evil one is anyone who snatches away your seed. Anyone who robs you of your joy. Anyone who hollows you out and, and, and gobbles up your capacity for forgiveness and patience. And, and leaves you with a hollowed out shell of bitterness and resentment. That's the evil one. 
But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You can't blame the evil one for being evil. Just like you can't blame a snake for being a snake or a scorpion for being a scorpion. Whether we're talking about the actual devil or just that person at work who drives you up a wall or that one ungrateful family member. It's no use pointing your finger and talking about how awful they are for gobbling up your seed. That's what they do. The seed snatchers will always snatch seed, and they'll always be there. No, the real problem is that your soil wasn't tilled properly. It wasn't ready to receive the seed. It wasn't soft enough for the seed to be able to burrow down and start spreading its roots. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you gotta stop getting mad at the ones who you perceive to be stealing your seed. We all gotta stop it with the anger and the frustration and the disgust at whatever little squirrel keeps coming by and, and, and chewing up anything that's good in our lives. Because the truth is, we're just making ourselves even harder. And the harder the path, the fewer seeds will be able to take root. And the more the squirrels will just keep on coming and gobbling up whatever we have to give them. Now the parable of the sower says you have to be soft. You have to become more receptive. You have to work on things like your gratitude and your thankfulness and, and, and start tilling up your heart with prayer so that when the good things do come, you can, you can absorb them into the, yourself, that they can actually burrow themselves down deep within you. Likewise, he says, some, some seeds fall on rocky ground and they spring up quickly, but the roots don't have enough soil. So when the sun comes up, they wither and die. The dirt is too shallow. Oh boy. I've known folks like these in the church. We all do, don't we? They're all over Christianity. These are the ones who always wear a smile. These are the ones who are confident and self-assured and who always want to talk about your problems, who always have an answer for you, who always want to fawn over you and show you just how much they care and how much they love. And they sprout these huge colorful blossoms that just scream, look at me. I'm a Christian. I have it together. I'm one of the good ones. Come and bask in my beauty. But oh, when the sun comes up, when it starts getting a little warm, the moment the trouble comes and they get mad or sad or scared or offended, they give up and they fall away. Because they ain't got no root. 
they all stem and blossom. See, it's, it's easy to make a show of it. It's easy to push up petals of religion, but it's something entirely different to be rooted in faith. To be committed to your God and to your church and to a life of prayer, even when things aren't very good. Even when there's other places you'd like to be in other places you'd like to go. To, to hang in there and to keep pushing down with your roots looking for for water and nutrients and all the stuff you need not just for showy flowers but for real fruit ain't nobody getting fat off of flowers if you truly want to be a nourishment to those around you you gotta bear actual spiritual fruit and that takes time. And that takes depth. And then there's the weeds. I got some weeds of my own growing right now. It's been pretty warm out lately. And I've been less than motivated to go out and pull them up. What does Jesus say the weeds are? The cares of the world and the lure of wealth. Boy, I wish he didn't say that. I wish he didn't say that the same way I wish he didn't say, blessed are the poor. Or when he said, cursed are the rich. Or it is easier to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Or any of the other hundred things Jesus and Paul and the prophets and, and James and Peter and John said about the dangerous, corrosive, and downright poisonous nature of wealth and the desire for it. He didn't say that. The church would be a much more popular place. And I would be much better liked as a preacher. But the truth is Jesus did say those things. And he said them because they're true. I know it doesn't seem that way. When you look out at this culture, when you watch the news, when you look on the internet... But make no mistake, as we chase after bigger houses and nicer cars, as we strive to, to make more money and, and, and climb the social ladder, as we pour over our bills and our, lavish our attention on our technology, our hearts are wilting within us because those weeds choke out the grace. The real problem with weeds is not just that they're ugly. Some weeds are actually quite beautiful if you let them grow and flower, that sort of thing. Joe pie weed, if you've ever seen that, is, is really gorgeous. No, the real problem with weeds is that they soak up all the nutrients in the sunlight that good plants need to grow. They quite literally steal the energy of your growth in bonsai we call that the vigor of your growth the lure of wealth is a parasite on human potential 
But, Jesus said, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. If I could switch gears for a second here. You know, bonsai literally means potted tree. Some people think a bonsai tree is a particular species, but, but that's not it. Rather, bonsai trees are any tree that, that lives in a pot. I have five different varieties of trees that are all bonsai because I grow them in a pot. And the, the, the thing about growing a tree in a pot is that the pot is actually the biggest hindrance to the tree's survival. Assuming you get the soil right, and assuming you, you get the, the sunlight right, and, and, and assuming you, you don't trim it down to bare wood every year, the, the thing that's hardest on the tree is just the fact that it lives in a confined space. See, when a tree is in a pot, it can't spread its roots out in search for nutrients. It can't send a taproot down to find a deep water table. It, 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 it can't avoid bad soil over here and compensate by growing over there. In this pot, in this confined space, the tree is completely dependent on its gardener to give it everything it needs. I'll be honest. The vast majority just don't make it. <laughs> Ask anyone who keeps bonsai trees and they'll tell you just how many of them die within the first couple years. The roots hit the sides and it's almost like they don't know what to do. It's almost like they're, they're stricken with anxiety and they'll just give up the ghost right then and there. But some of the bonsai, the best bonsai, the bonsai that you see in museums and at home and garden shows, they accept the pot. They embrace the pot. It's almost as if they learn to settle down. They, they learn to stop struggling so much to survive and they learn that it's okay to be dependent upon the grace of the gardener to keep them safe and to give them everything they need. I think of that line, Consider the lilies of the field, how they neither toil nor spin. Consider the trees of the pot. For instance, when I was in New Mexico last year, for the first time in my life, I saw wild junipers. You know, we think of junipers as shrubs here in Ohio. Uh, they, they typically don't get much taller than your knee. 
They, they just kind of stick close to the ground. Some people use them as ground cover. But out in the desert, especially out in the desert mountains, in their natural habitat where they get just the right amount of rain and just the right amount of snow and sun, even a juniper can grow to be 30 or 40 feet tall. And in the best of circumstances, they can live to be 70, 80, even 90 years old. But here's the thing. You take that same tree, and instead of it being in the wild, you put it in a pot when it is very young, and you give it to a good gardener who will tend the soil with attention and care and, and put the pot in, in just the right place and, and trim it appropriately and fertilize it when it needs it and all that good stuff. And that same juniper can live to be 100, 200, or even 400 years old. The oldest living juniper on planet Earth is over 800 years old, and it lives in a pot. But the only way these trees can live like that, the only way they can flourish for, for generation after generation, is that at some point they have to embrace the boundaries of their soil. They, they, they have to accept the limits that are given to them and allow their roots to rely on the love of their gardener. Boy, brothers and sisters, for better or worse, we in a pot right now. I don't know if you noticed, but this church, this community, this country, we're in the mother of all pots. And we are buttoned up against the walls, and, and part of us just wants to break out because it's feeling restrictive and suffocating and just too daggone tight. And there's a part of us that feels the lure to go play in the weeds, no matter what the consequences. Daggone it, we've just had it up to here, and we just want to be free. I get that. But the thing that all true bonsai seem to learn is that as long as they've got good soil, and as long as they've got a kind gardener, who gives them everything they need. They have all it takes to be a work of art. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.